0: So, if I was starting today as a new solo, I would be The entrepreneurial aspect have to change the that way they're like practicing. Becoming they leader
1: said they've done it earlier help young lawyers. starting a small but firm. What it means yeah. to be Make fulfilled. it
0: easy to work with your clients.
1: New approach,
0: new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap. Welcome to another episode of New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Adriana Linares, and today I have a really cool and special guest for everyone, and I hope that this conversation is inspiring for you, as I know it is going to be for me. I have with me today Chris Chandevel. Chris Chandevel is senior counsel on the appellate team at the Alliance Defending Freedom Organization. I'm going to ask him to tell us a little bit about that after I say hi. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, Adriana. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I am too. And before I let you introduce yourself, let me tell everyone how and how I found you and why you are here. Sure. Uh, I was on LinkedIn looking for information on artificial intelligence for attorneys. That seems to be my, my best resource right now because of the contacts and the network that I have. The content is always very relevant. So I was scrolling through and someone that I follow liked a post of yours that caught my eye because it's your post from, let's see, two weeks ago, and it was titled Brief Writing Ninja Legal Style Guide. So I clicked on it and I looked at it, and I don't think I looked at it for more than about 0.5 seconds when I said, holy moly, this person has to come and talk to us about why words And Word Matter. So I pinged you on LinkedIn and asked you if you would come on as a guest. And I know how busy you must be. So I very, very much appreciate your time. So with my intro of why you're here, tell everyone who you are, what you do, and a little bit about how you got to becoming the hashtag BriefWritingNinja on LinkedIn
1: Sure, Uh, so like you said, uh, my name is Chris Chandeville. I'm senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is a nonprofit law firm. We do public interest, impact litigation, uh, mainly constitutional law, uh, free speech, parental rights, religious freedom, issues of that sort. Uh, I've been here on the appellate team for four years now. Um, Before coming to ADF, I was at the Virginia Attorney General's office in the criminal appeal section. Uh, where I litigated appeals for five years. Uh, In my time there, I briefed and argued somewhere around 75 appeals uh, in the state court of appeals, uh, I think about 14 in the state Supreme Court.
0: Amazing. Uh,
1: Yeah, since coming to ADF, I've added to that number. So I'm somewhere in the 80s now in terms of cases that I've briefed and argued. I am passionate about legal writing. I'm passionate about uh, litigating. I, I enjoy it um, and I love talking about it. Um, so I'm really excited uh, to be on your show today and to have this conversation. You asked me specifically about my brief writing ninja hashtag on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I started investing a little more in LinkedIn uh, just within the past year or so. I'd kind of given up on all other forms of social media. But I saw LinkedIn as a platform uh, where we can really find a community with with common interest Mm -hmm. and really with a goal of, you know, not getting, 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 but really giving back uh, and investing in others and helping people. And so I love to teach. I love to share what I've learned and what my mentors have taught to me. Uh, So I've tried to use it as an opportunity platform to teach what I've learned through the years about legal writing in particular the brief writing ninja hashtag comes from a nickname that my opposing counsel gave me uh, pretty early on in my practice at the ag's office Uh, so i was doing an appeal on behalf of the the government we're appealing i think a suppression ruling from the trial court and um he called me uh, after while he was writing his brief in response and said, you know I to be honest, I've been struggling with with some of my responses because uh, no. I've, I've been yeah, he's like, I've been telling my colleagues you're like a brief writing ninja I just I, I don't know <laughs> I don't know even what to say in re- to, in response to some of this, and so that kind of I tell people that' was my favorite professional compliment I think I've ever gotten, and so it's just kind of a fun way to put a label on kind of my my tips and tricks and strategies for brief writing that i that I've been sharing with the world here recently.
0: well, that is seriously has to be one of the best things that could happen to any attorney and how very cool and just amazing of that person to have called you just to say that what a wonderful compliment I also want to make sure when people go and find you on LinkedIn uh, I'm going to spell your last name just to make sure they can look for you so Chris is spelled like normal and then it's S-C-H-A-N-D-E-V-E-L but you also have a video of an argument that you did. Tell us a little bit about that. I started to watch it. I was like, I can't watch an hour of this right now. But it's amazing because now you're taking what you wrote and putting it into an oral you know, format. So tell us a little bit about that. And I want everyone to go watch it.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I've got a, I've got a few videos posted there. I've got two in the Iowa Supreme Court and one in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Uh probably my favorite oral argument I've ever done is the one in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. That was a case uh, involving a very interesting issue whether there's a state constitutional right to assisted suicide. And so I was actually arguing that case on behalf of an amicus, so I wasn't representing one of the parties. Oh wow. Uh, And I filed a motion seeking leave for argument time about a week or so before argument was scheduled. And I found out two days before oral argument, the court issued an order granting my motion said, you know, be here in Boston two days from now and and let's go. And so probably the shortest amount of time I've had to prepare for an oral argument here at ADF, Uh, but it brought me back to my AG's office days when we were just litigating so many appeals that oftentimes I would have a day before argument to, to really prepare. And so i just crammed everything that i could i got my flight i, I got to got to boston uh showed up uh, i had asked for five minutes of time at the at the lectern uh the court ended up giving me 20 minutes wow because the justices had so many questions and i i i walked away from it feeling about as good as i possibly could have felt and i had some in the audience say you know i'm really sorry that they didn't give you time to make your points they were just peppering you with questions the whole time and i thought to myself you know what that person doesn't realize is that is exactly how I wanted that argument to go. I made exactly all the points that I wanted to, but it was in the course of a conversation with the judge, with the justices, which is really how it how it should be. So had a blast of experience. Uh, ended up winning the case. Um, our side won. Got a great result from the court. And now it's it's become one of my favorite state supreme courts because the the justices, the the court staff, everyone there was just so pleasant and so great to work with.
0: That's such a great story to hear too. And is it very nerve wracking? you know, you seem so cool and calm and collected and people can't see you, but I'll just say you also look very young and please don't take that the wrong way because, you know, I, I just think it's amazing that you don't have to be an attorney. I'm sure you haven't been practicing for 40 years. Let me put it right, that way. Right. Um, to be as good as you are, not just at writing the briefs and becoming the legal, the brief writing ninja, but also to to look as you do in this video, which the one that pops up on your LinkedIn is the is the one you just described, and you seem so confident. Mm-hmm. Where did it all come from?
1: <laughs> lots and lots and lots of preparation it's all about preparation uh, whether we're talking about brief writing or talking about um, oral argument time I have certainly been in situations with opposing counsel uh, where I've been up against especially early in my career and you know attorneys who've been doing this for you know 10 20 30 years uh, and it can be a little bit you know intimidating internally to think you know this person's probably forgotten more law than I have ever heard of or learned myself but what I've realized from practicing is By investing the time and the effort and the energy into preparing before writing that brief, preparing to become the best legal writer you can be, preparing for that oral argument, you can really set yourself apart as a very skilled and effective litigator because you don't take for granted the importance of preparation of hard work. Uh whereas when someone's been doing it for 30, 40 years, then the temptation is on the other end is to start becoming too dependent on well I know this stuff, I've done this right. stuff, etc. So I see being a, a newer attorney as really an advantage uh, and something that we can that we ought to be able to and I've tried at least uh, to use to my advantage in my cases.
0: And how did you become such a great public speaker? Did you do a lot of debate class and mock trial? Did you go to Toastmasters? Are there any tips you can give us on that part of being so successful?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll tell you, in, in law school, I kind of rode off doing appellate advocacy because all of my friends who were doing moot court and all of those things you know they'd done speech and debate in high school it just seemed to be ingrained within them you know I had never even heard of Robert's rules uh-huh. so I didn't know what all these things were interesting um, so I didn't do much of it but then I ended up doing appellate clerkship uh, after law school and then that opened the door for me to go to the state AG's office and start doing appeals and it turns out that one I love it and two I ended up being a lot better at it than I expected and what I Realized is that I had gotten a lot of public speaking practice and experience growing up in high school, in undergrad, and in law school. But where it came for me, I taught a lot of uh, Bible study classes at my church, oh. uh, a lot of a lot of adult Bible classes, and you'd be surprised uh, the parallels between standing in front of um, a group of three judges who are peppering you with questions, uh, (laughs) trying to get you off track, asking you hard questions, you're trying to steer them back on course. I can see where this is going. Standing up in church in front of a group of adults (gasps) who are peppering you with questions, you're trying to keep them on track, you're trying to answer their questions, but still bring it back to the points that you want to make, etc. So I found myself being much more natural at it. And I expected. And so I think the takeaway is just uh, take advantage of any opportunity that Mm -hmm. you get to do public speaking, regardless if it has anything to do with the law or not.
0: That's a great tip. I want to move on to our next segment and talk about legal writing, because. First of all, it's not a topic I've ever covered, and it's certainly not a topic that the attorneys who come to see me ask me about, right? Because Mm -hmm. they should have that all figured out. But as far as your experience and loving to teach attorneys how to be better attorneys, why is legal writing so important? It's an obvious question, but I'd, (laughs) I'd love to hear the way you answer it.
1: Sure. I mean, so to me, so litigating is all about persuading, all about trying to convince your audience uh, to join you uh, in doing what you're asking them to do for your clients. And so for me, it's all about speaking to judges uh, and and to be honest, speaking to their law clerks, knowing that law clerks are reading Mm. my briefs and doing it in a way that is as persuasive as possible. And for me, persuasion, I define persuasion the way that Aristotle defined persuasion, right? It's not all about having the most logically compelling arguments. That's the logos. That's an important third of that equation. Um, But another big part of it is the pathos. It's the emotion. It's the human element. Another big part of it is the ethos. It's the credibility that you are portraying uh, through your written word uh, to your reader. And far too often, I feel like we attorneys, you know, we, we assume that oh, if I've got the right argument, if I'm right, I can just throw it on a page, put it before the court, yeah. and I should just win. And I'm not going to invest anything to to make my brief more readable. I'm not going to spend time making sure it looks nice. I'm not going to worry about mm. some of the finer details of making sure that I'm completely accurate in a way that maintains my credibility with the court. Um, I'm just going to get the argument on paper and turn it in. And over the years, I've seen litigants many cases. I, I've seen a lot of poorly written briefs. I'm sure. Um, and I'll say we do our clients such a disservice when we don't invest the time and the effort and the energy to making our briefs as persuasive as possible in every facet of what it means to be persuasive. Uh, So that's why it's so important to me to invest in becoming the best writer that I can be, and also in helping others to do the same and to understand all that that encompasses. Well,
0: when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the Brief Writing Ninja's Legal Style Guide. We're going to tell you where to go get it, and we're going to hit some main points on it. We'll be right back. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps Legal malpractice Practice insurance policyholders are solos, after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable, premium pricing for the first three years of practice. Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash first flight to learn more. Or just Google Alps First Flight. You'll find them. First Flight Program, subject to eligibility requirements. All right, everyone, we're back. I'm here with Chris Shandeval, who is the hashtag Brief Writing Ninja on LinkedIn. And um, Chris, tell everyone where they can get the guide. I have it in front of me, and you have it obviously in front of you and probably in your head, but we're going to sort of talk through some points. So I hope everyone stops, pauses this podcast, goes to get, at least put it in front of you on LinkedIn and then we can talk through these things so how do they get it
1: absolutely so if you'll just run a search for me chris chandeville on linkedin S C H A N D E V E L, find my profile find my recent activity um this is one of my most recent posts i'm also going to feature it um, as one of my featured posts because it did do so well uh, in terms of the traffic that it received so it'll be right there on my main the main page of my profile And when you open it there, if you make it full screen, you'll have an option to download the document. Uh, A lot of folks messaged me asking me, how can I download it? Uh, Because one thing that's very important about your uh, listeners being able to download the document, I filled the document with hyperlinks to online resources where they can really do a deep dive into each of these individual points. So getting the document downloaded and getting those hyperlinks is so important.
0: Right. So you don't need to print it, everyone, because the hyperlinks won't work. if you. I mean, you can, but, um, but I think your tip of making sure you hit full screen, because the download button doesn't appear in LinkedIn until you do that. So everyone, make sure you hit full screen. The download button will be in the top right-hand corner, and you're going to get this beautiful concise three-page document with all these great links in it. And I noticed that you you often link to Brian Garner a lot, actually. And then you've yes. got some other tools that you use in there that we'll talk about. Okay. So for listeners, you've paused, you've gotten the uh, legal style guide. But in case you're driving and you didn't have time, here's what Chris and I are going to do. He has a lot of sections. Formatting, style and tone, structure, paragraphs, quotations, citations, sentences, words, punctuation, and that's it. We're going to hit some major points on all of those except the very first one because I want to spend the last segment of the show on formatting. It's very important to me because we talk a lot about word, everyone. Y'all know how many times I say it's just critical that you become a good word user. So, Chris, if you don't mind, um, let's just Kind of brief synopsis of of your other um, main points. Maybe I'll stop and interrupt you here and there. But under style and tone, I mean, basically, what is the main point that you could say if you had to summarize these six or seven bullet points in just a sentence or two, what would it be about style and tone that's important in your briefs or probably any legal, any document?
1: Yeah, to me, the most important one is to really be the voice of reason. So everything that you write when you're thinking about your tone, you wanna to make sure that you're coming across in a way that the, the judges and justices and law clerks uh, reading it feel like they can trust you to be giving an objective approach an objective analysis of the issues and the arguments and the facts that you are the voice of reason. So not engaging in a bunch of hyperbole, no inflammatory rhetoric, no name-calling or personal attacks. Now, of course, you're going to be representing a client you're going to be trying to persuade the court to see the case in a certain way, but you really want the goal of a lot of legal writing is you're really selling something. You're, you're, you're selling a position and you're selling an outcome that you want the court uh, to reach, but you never want the reader, you never want the judges to, to feel like you're selling them something, right? Right. You want no them eye re- rolling
0: by the judges. An, right, eye, right. an eye roll while reading your brief would be bad.
1: Absolutely. So you want the court, really, you want to give the court everything that it needs to feel like it's coming to the conclusion that you want it to come to on its own. So instead of hitting the court with, you know, this is why you should do this and this and this and this and this, it's look at all these facts. Look at all this law. It's clearly supports this one outcome and letting the the court feel like it's reaching that conclusion for itself.
0: And you mentioned brief catch in your guide. So tell us a little bit about that in case we have listeners who haven't heard of it.
1: Sure, so Brief Catch is amazing. Uh, it's an invaluable tool. It's a, it's a software tool uh, created by um, Ross Guberman, who's the author of the book Point Made uh, for Attorneys. It's a great brief writing um, book. Uh, his resource, and it's based, especially for, I think for a, for a solo who doesn't have a team of a, attorneys, sure. you know, reviewing his or her work, it's basically like having um, someone sitting next to you, reviewing your work in real time. So the way that it works, it, it's, a, it's a plugin in Microsoft Word. Uh, you write the brief. At any point, you can open up the, the Brief Catch tab and you can click a button to have Brief Catch analyze your entire written work and give you suggestions about how to improve the writing uh, of what you have so far. In addition to that, once you've gone through the process of running Brief Catch, making all style suggestions, there's also an option to, to run a, a basically a score check
0: yeah, to, I see, to that.
1: see how you measure up um, and it grades you on a scale of, you know, zero to 100 of how well your writing is in various, um, various categories. I think there are four or five different categories. So I encourage um, folks to aim for scores of 90 and above. Uh, it is possible to get all of the hundreds. I- I've had briefs that um, do hit all hundreds. I-, I struggle the most with being punchy. Sometimes my sentences get a little bit too long, but I run brief catch and it's a reminder, okay, I need to insert some more Uh, punchier sentences, break up some of my longer sentences. So it's just a great resource to use as you're writing a brief.
0: Excellent. I love mentioning technology tools. So if you think of any more that would be helpful as we're having this conversation, don't be afraid to name names. Great. Um, the, The next section is structure. And I'll just rattle off a couple quick things that you say. Use shorter headings for factual sections, one to four line complete sentences, complete sentence headings. Use all caps only For section headings like table of authorities and argument, don't ever use all caps. I feel like that's clear. So as far as structure goes, is this the visual part of how you're looking at the document or does it also help, you know, your tips and how someone's reading and sort of, again, that what parts of this are part of the persuasion?
1: Oh, so, so it's all persuasion, but yeah, different different parts are more pathos or more ethos or more logos. I actually just finished teaching a, a, a CLE with TRT CLE that went through pathos, logos, ethos uh, for each of these things on my list and kind of walked through which fits um, best with each of those different considerations. But I'll say point headings are so important and they get written off uh, by so many attorneys and just kind mm. of mail, mailed in. But if you're writing good point headings, um, especially in your statement of facts and in your argument section, the benefit one, um, in terms of persuasiveness, it helps you structure Um, just the logical structure of the brief. So it's good for you as you're writing, but two, it's helpful for the reader to see what is that basic structure of your argument? What is that basic structure of your story? And where is the story gonna go? Where is the argument gonna go? So they know what to look for and what to watch for as they're reading. And it's important not only in the fact section and the argument section themselves, but by writing good point headings, you're writing a good table of contents. And the table of contents is your first real opportunity to brief, to start Ah. persuading your readers. And so many attorneys overlook it, and the table of contents is more or less worthless. It's just conclusory statements that don't give you any sense of what happened in the case or what your argument is going to be. So the benefit of doing point headings in complete sentences is that it is creating a logical a full logical structure for the table of contents so your judge can read that and fully understand exactly what you're about to tell him or her and exactly what your argument is going to be
0: and I will say this now in case we don't talk about table of contents again, Mm -hmm. that thing should be automatically created for you by Microsoft Word. You should never be sitting there tapping and typing out a table of contents, everyone, nor should your assistant. Word is magical. So if you take Chris's points and develop the document in a logical way and think about it, then your table of contents is just gonna plop in and you shouldn't have to touch it once it goes in there.
1: Absolutely. Um, and if I can make one more point on yes. that, the benefit of it being automated is that as you're writing the brief, you can check yourself to make sure that your logical structure is still cohesive and still holds by going, scrolling all the way up, clicking update table of contents, reading your point headings there all together in one place. I catch myself all the time. Oh, I've got one A, B, and C, but now C feels out of place. You might not realize it when you're down mm. in the document itself writing it, but if you go back up the table of contents, if it's automated, you can update it. You can check yourself to make sure that logical structure is still there.
0: And I want to say, these tips are really valuable if you're not writing a brief, if you're writing a will or any a, a contract, a, an articles of incorpor- anything, these are really important points so that, your table of contents can be really helpful. So many times we don't include a table of contents because we don't know how to format the Word document in a way where it's automated, and it would definitely be way too much work to create it from scratch. So please learn how to use Word's table of contents feature, which comes back to styles, which we're going to talk about in the last segment of the show. So the next couple sections that you've got our paragraphs. Give us a quick little thoughts on just, you know, you've got, there's obvious points here, but I like to hear you talk about building bridges between paragraphs, keeping them short. What's What are guideposts that you mention?
1: Sure, so a, a guidepost is just giving the reader um, a, a guide, um, some signage that says, you know, this is what you're about to read. So if you're about to, you know, make three or four points, you know, don't just launch into them and have your reader, you know, reading along, you know, asking themselves, is this all one big point? Am I going to get another point? How long, how many points is, are they going to have here? When does this end, right? Uh, tell the reader right up front, um, you know, the decision below should be reversed for four reasons. Mm-hmm. And then first, second, third, fourth, uh, let the reader kind of ponder, okay, I see the reasons, I know where this is going. Uh, and then you, you walk the reader through that uh, in more detail. So that is just, in terms of making a brief uh, readable, um, so judges are busy uh, and judges are distracted. Um, so you want that brief, um, just like the rest of us, judges are distracted, cell phones, emails, phone calls, etc. So you want it to be as easy for them to read as possible. So using guideposts is really important uh, for that. The other thing on paragraphs, building bridges between paragraphs. So many times you you read a brief and like a paragraph, it's just, is a paragraph, it's a paragraph, it's a paragraph, there's a point to point to point to point. But you want to be able to show the reader how the paragraph you're writing fits with the paragraph you just finished. And then when you get towards the end of that paragraph, how it's gonna launch into the next paragraph. So using connector words and phrases, you know, for the same reasons, launching into it by contrast, launching into something, you know, making the opposite point or showing the other side of the coin, Um, using conjunctions like and and but and so, uh, which when we get to words, maybe we'll talk more about that. Or maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, But all those connector, connector words are just very important just for the readability of the brief.
0: So I love that you say avoid substantive footnotes because I see footnotes that have to go on to a second page oftentimes. Does that make yes. you cringe?
1: Oh man, it makes me cringe <laughs> so badly. I've seen, I saw a brief recently where the entire page was a footnote.
0: I've seen these. It,
1: it was a blank space above, above the line, which is horrible. Um, so yeah, if you want, you really want your brief to read like a book. You want the judge to be able to read it, kind of start to finish, not lose their train of thought. Uh, Then the thing about footnotes is you're interrupting the reader. Think of it as I'm Mm. interrupting my reader, and I am forcing them to move their eyes down to the bottom of the page, or now that everything's read online digitally, to to actually scroll down so it maybe takes more time than it used to take when it was just a matter of diverting your eyes down to the bottom of the page and back up, and you've got a hard copy, read something that's related but not exactly on point, and then scroll back up and remind themselves, okay, where were we? What were we talking about? Where are we going? You just lose so much when you put substantive information in the footnotes. So I had a mentor early on who said, she would always say, above the line, above the line, above the line on my footnotes. If you can fit it above, if you need it, if it's worth including, you can find a place for it above the line. If you find yourself not able to put it up there, then maybe you just need to consider taking it all together.
0: (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Let's talk about quotations and citations. What are your main points as far as making a double indented quote? I imagine, and um, citations especially, that's another one. People really struggle with citations.
1: Sure. So on the double-indented quotes, um, block quotes, I say avoid block quotes like the plague. Nice. Uh, A block quote is just an invitation to the reader to skim or skip what you've written there. And unfortunately, attorneys see the block quote as, this is the most important information. I need to give the reader all of it, so I'm going to put it in a block quote. But it has the exact opposite effect. It doesn't get read. Uh, so find a way to avoid using block quotes, break it up into, into multiple sentences with the citations in between is very important. Uh, you know who si- you
0: just made really happy? Who's that? Every single attorney that doesn't know how to create a double indented quote in Word.
1: Excellent, there you go. Yep. You can completely mm-hmm. get now, around that. you don't
0: even have to learn that part. <laughs>
1: you don't need it, exactly. <laughs> I'll also say at kind of a higher level, don't lose your voice when you're quoting a court. And, and what I mean by that is I see so many times attorneys just quoting the court and using words like, you know, we have held that the standard of review in this case is et cetera, et cetera. But the we have held, I mean, the the advocate writing that isn't part of the court. They're not part of the we, right? Uh, So it's much better, uh, instead of losing your voice, um, Mm -hmm. to meld your voice with the court's voice. So I would change that quote to say, this court has held quote, and then you go on to say what the court has held, because you really want the reader to Even if it's just subconsciously, to hear your voice and the court's voice being one. And so that's an important key to that. You asked also about uh, citations. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll share a a, a favorite new trick of mine. It's called the cleaned up parenthetical. Have you heard of the cleaned up parenthetical? No,
0: but I can't wait.
1: Yeah. So have you, I'm sure you've seen the clunky parentheticals that say, you know, internal citations and in quotation marks, omitted, um, yes. brackets, altered, et cetera. Like it gets it very wrong and clunky. It does. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the clean, cleaned up parenthetical um, is this new creation by an attorney uh, a few years ago. His name is Jack Metzler, and I may be mispronouncing uh, his name, but he created it basically to take the place of those clunky parentheticals. So instead of saying internal citations and quotation marks omitted, you just say cleaned up. And what cleaned up signals is that you have converted.
0: You literally um, write cleaned up.
1: I literally write cleaned up in the <laughs> parenthetical, and I'm uh, in good company because it's been done in hundreds and I think oh, now thousands of court opinions, uh, including the US Supreme Court has started using it in some of their cases as well.
0: Well, if um, they're doing it, it
1: exactly. We can all do it. I don't know that it's Blue Book approved quite right. yet, maybe in time. But basically, you use it when the source that you're quoting is itself quoting a prior source. And you don't need the reader to know about the prior source. You just want them to know about the source that you're quoting. If the source you're quoting has had to add some brackets or add some um, ellipses or some internal citations or quotation marks to change the source that it's quoting, you're just removing the extra stuff that the source you're quoting has added. It's cleaned up. Uh, yep, you're cleaning it up. You're not using it to make your own changes uh, and, and hide those. If you make your own change, if you delete a word, you use an ellipsis, right? If you mm-hmm. change punctuation, you use a bracket. But if you you can clean up the source that you're quoting without losing anything and without having to do a very clunky parenthetical at the end of it.
0: Love it. Can we talk about sentences for a second? Sure. Because this is the next section. We could talk about it for hours probably. But your very first point, only write sentences that you could easily speak, is so critical. And out, and let me just tell you why I feel like this. Yes. I have to read a lot of things out loud that people, other people write. And when I go to read them out loud, I can tell it's the first time they are being read out loud because they are so awkward to say they're uncomfortable to hear. And this might be part of my old Toastmasters training where the first thing they teach you is doesn't matter what you wrote, say it out loud, read it to yourself out loud. And I think I've often given the tip that Microsoft Word now even has a read aloud feature,
1: yep. which
0: a lot of times your eyes will trick you and you you know, your brain, you're busy, you're tired. So I have told many attorneys, just turn it on in the background. Yep. Because if something is misspoken, if, it, if even if it's a little bit robotic, if it sounds weird, your ear is going to catch it. You're going to go back to the document. So tell us a little bit, a couple of your best tips. And you've got, these are all great tips. Don't start sentences with cumbersome connectors. Nevertheless, accordingly, however, whereas, one of my favorites. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll take a beat on that one, actually, if you want to start there. Sure. Um, So (laughs) I don't know where attorneys have gotten it it, in our heads that we cannot start a sentence with conjunctions like and, but, and so. But if you read any non-legal writing, you'll see tons of sentences starting with and, but, and so, and I I think it goes back to in grammar school, you know, your first grade teacher teaching you to write for the first time. Um, (laughs) A lot of us heard, don't start with ands and buts and so's. I think that was because, not because it was grammatically wrong, but when you're, when you're six, you know, you tell us, you write a story and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened, right? (laughs) So they were trying to beat that out of us. But as a result, so many of us have kept it and so instead we say, nevertheless, accordingly, consequently, Ugh. and it just is so oh. clunky and slows down the sentence and it becomes so much less uh, punchy and persuasive. I'll say one of my uh, favorite uh, short sentences. So connecting uh, 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 the length of sentences, I say vary your sentence length. So some longer sentences, some shorter sentences, some medium length. Um, one of my favorite short sentences is the sentence, but that's wrong. Uh. So I will lay out the other side's position. Um, And instead of launching into this lengthy retort, I will start with, but that's wrong. Boom. And then I'll explain it. Right. But that punchy starting, but that's wrong, just signals like confidence and clarity. Um, Starting with the conjunction makes it punchier. Um, You know, if I said, if I had said, however, that is wrong. Right. just, you lose a lot of force there. Also the use of a contraction. Uh, I know I'm jumping from sentences to, to words. Perfect. No problem. I'm a fan of using um, some contractions in our legal writing, assuming the contraction makes the writing sound more natural. Sure. And again, it goes back to, you know, writing sentences that you could easily speak. Um, I wouldn't say, but that is wrong, it's just, you know, it's just too much, it's too, it's too wordy, right? But I would say, but that's wrong. And so there, it's more natural to use the contraction, and I think it's perfectly okay for us to use some contractions to make our writing um, more readable and more enjoyable to read, and and as a result, more punchy and and more persuasive.
0: Let's just cover one more sort of along those lines, which I also love. Avoid legal jargon. Now, Chris, how many lawyers are going to say, it's a legal brief? How am I supposed to avoid legal jargon?
1: (laughs) Right. So admittedly, uh, when you're dealing with case law and you're dealing with a a test or a legal standard, you know, there's going to be some phrases that you just have to include because that's the law. That's the test. But attorneys, we don't limit ourselves to using jargon when we're forced to. We use it in the intro of our brief, you know, comes now, uh, appellant so-and-so, here here and after. I, I was reading a brief recently The very first part of the intro was, you know, comes now, Rihanna, Michelle, Rich, parentheses, here and after Rich, as if the reader wouldn't know that that that's the same person you're talking about when it's their last name. But we get so wedded to doing things the way that we've seen other attorneys do them. And I think a lot of us get to law school, and we we assume that okay, well now I have to learn how to write like a lawyer. So I've got to throw sure. out everything I've ever learned about what good writing is, and, and change my writing to write like a lawyer. And then what I've learned since law school is okay, now I need to unlearn what I mm. think writing like a lawyer means and looks like and sounds like. Um, I'm a big fan of the plain plain English movement yeah. um, for attorneys. You <laughs> Me know, just. Too getting us to write with regular words. And I think judges uh, and our readers just appreciate that so much. It makes our brief so much more compelling
0: and more persuasive. Well, it's such a refreshing way to hear about legal writing because you are still writing like a lawyer. You are still making a compelling argument. You are still doing your job. You can just do it a little more modern. I'm going to use the word modern because I feel like everything you're saying is just modern, but you're not destroying in any way the message that you're trying to convey with right. your product, your right. document.
1: Right. If anything, in reality, you're just trimming off all of the fat that distracts from the legal argument that you're trying to make, cutting out all of the clutter so the reader can hear your actual argument.
0: So um, let's talk about words and punctuation. And sure. just real quick, a couple tips on words. And I would like to know your thoughts on the Oxford comma and how many spaces after a period, please.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> those are Those two are easy. The Oxford <laughs> comma is a must for legal writers. It's a must. You lose so much meaning and add so much ambiguity by not doing the Oxford comma. I mean, millions of dollars have been lost in cases over the lack of an Oxford comma. Um, So, so important, no debate. Uh, one spacer, two spaces, I'm a one spacer and I don't nice. I don't think there's any debate there either if you check the style guides. I don't know why we attorneys, again, another thing we insist on continuing to do that we developed at some point. Well, we past. developed it
0: during the days of the typewriters when everything right. was monospaced. Right, and, right. You know, it's hard to get attorneys to believe that the computer can do magical things to spacing to make it right. easier, more comfortable for the eyes to, to read yes. and see. Yes. So I'm with you on both of those.
1: Excellent, excellent. I'm also a big fan of, I I put on there, hyphenate all phrasal adjectives. Uh, That's something that I think we don't always do a good job of. So free speech rights, for example, free speech is being used as an adjective there. It's a phrase, but it's an adjective. So it gets a hyphen. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of ambiguity that gets added just by not using the hyphen, and the hyphen removes a lot of that. Is this a a free right? Is it a speech right? Is it free speech rights together? use the hyphen, remove that ambiguity. There might be places where you're not used to using a hyphen, so it might take some adjusting. But once you start doing it and and realize how much clearer your writing becomes, I I hope your listeners will become a big believer in it, just like I am.
0: I took a paralegal course a long, long time ago. Maybe it was a legal assistant. It was legal assistant course. And that one specifically stuck with me where they taught us that say the sentence. Without the second word, does not make sense? Say the sentence without the first word, does not make sense? If it doesn't make sense without either word, you got to throw the hyphen in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And part of making the brief more readable, you want that reading process to be as smooth as possible for the reader. Without the hyphen, there's that slightest pause of indecision, of uh, lack of clarity, of not knowing what you're trying to communicate. You want to remove every single slight pause like that as possible. And that's just one easy way to do that.
0: I love that. You want to remove the indecision. The, Absolutely. Don't make me think, right? Isn't right, that a famous right. book? It's a famous yes. book. Don't make me think. Okay. Let's do these with our briefs from now on. Any other tips on these topics that we've covered so far that are your favorites that you want to make sure and add before we move on to our next segment?
1: Sure. Let me hit another point on punctuation. Yes. Uh, this is a, a very tiny granular point, but it's so important. Um, learn to use the non-breaking space. It's hugely important. Just to spell it out for folks, control, shift, space bar. Uh, will create a space between two letters or between two words that's non-breaking, uh, which means that if the first word or letter falls at the end of a line, um, it'll remain together with the word or the letter that comes after it and won't get broken up. Oftentimes that's not important, but there are times w- if you're writing an ellipsis, you've got two periods and you're not doing non-breaking spaces, that third per- period ends up on the subsequent line just hanging out by itself. That should never happen. Non-breaking spaces helps you avoid that. I use it after section symbols when I'm giving a code section to make sure the symbol doesn't get disconnected from the from the, the site. Um, after numerals when I'm giving a list, one, two, three. You don't want a one with a you know parens hanging out there by itself at the end of a line. You want it connected to the word that comes after. So non-breaking spaces are huge. Relatedly optional hyphens are very important uh, and useful. So An optional hyphen, unlike a regular hyphen, if you insert a regular hyphen uh, into a sentence, it's just all into a word, it's always gonna be there. The hyphen stays. An optional hyphen is for when you've come to the end of a line and you've got a really long word, and it's too long to fit at the end of your line so it's getting bumped down to the next line. You can add an optional hyphen so that that word gets broken up a little bit. Make sure you add it a place that's a clean syllable break Um, But that will help avoid there being large gaps at the end of your your lines. If you're doing left justify, it avoids creating big spaces between words. If you're doing full justify and the benefit of the optional hyphen is if you end up not needing it, if the whole word gets bumped down to a subsequent line, the hyphen disappears. Whereas, which is also so important. You don't want a random hyphen in one of your words because you didn't (laughs) use the optional hyphen. So that's also very important.
0: Remind us the keyboard shortcut on a Windows machine for a non breaking space.
1: Uh, sure. So the non breaking space is control plus shift plus spacebar. And the keyboard shortcut for a, an optional hyphen is just control plus the hyphen. And I'm looking for my style guide to confirm that because I'm pretty yeah. sure that that's correct. Okay, good deal.
0: And it exists for Mac. It's probably command instead of control, but you can always just Google non-breaking space, word for Mac, to make sure you have the right keys on the Mac as well. So um, those are great. And I think, you know, just to clarify one real quick, the non-breaking space, everyone, would keep like July 6, comma, from being at the end of one line and 2023 starting at the next line. And then if you do happen to turn your paragraph markers on, which I encourage everyone to turn their paragraph markers on when they're working in um, drafting a document, it's going to look like the degree symbol instead of the little dot that you see when you normally see a space. So it's a lot of visual ways that Word can help you work some of these. All right, well, let's take a quick break. Thank you so much for really, we did the the, the speed Version of your guide, but you've got so many great tips and so many good links. I'm sure everyone's going to go and download it and be able to pick up many more tips than the ones you and I just gave. We'll be right back. We're going to come back and talk about Microsoft Word and formatting. Yes, yes. You have a website, but do you love it? Does it grow your practice? It should look good, it should work for you, and it should be built by people who care. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos, just starting out or market leaders. And their clients love their websites. PMP's average client has been with them for over six years. PMP is perfect for your website. Practice made perfect. Visit PMPMG.com forward slash solo. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based and also ongoing work via subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal.
1: Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, gee, I bet he even went... To a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for lunch hour legal marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found.
0: All right, everyone, we're back for the last segment of my conversation with Chris Chandeville, the brief writing ninja, as you'll find him on LinkedIn. He Put out a legal style guide that I was very attracted to when I saw it go by on LinkedIn. We've covered a high level overview of the guide. Please go download it and really dive into it. But I saved the first section for last because this is really where, you know, my spidey senses started tingling and getting excited about how important it is to be able to be a good Microsoft Word user. So, Chris, in this section, You talk about styles, italics, bolding, underline, keeping lines together. We just talked about non-breaking spaces. I don't know how anyone would be able to develop a beautiful brief without having really good word skills.
1: Oh, you have to be able to not just be functional in Microsoft Word, but be really um, efficient and effective at using all the tools that Microsoft Word has to offer in order to write Uh, not just a brief that has the right words and right arguments in it, but a brief that is as persuasive as it can possibly be on all three of those key components, the pathos, the ethos, and the logos. Because if you turn in a brief that has all the right arguments, but because you don't know how to work Microsoft Word, it's just a mess in terms of formatting. From the very get-go before the judge even reads a word of it, they're gonna be likely to doubt what you're arguing and what you're saying. Uh, Because if you can't even take the time to learn how to use Microsoft Word and and to format your paragraphs correctly, for example, did you take the time to do the legal research and to, you know, check all of your cases um, and to make sure you're making the right argument? So it is so important.
0: I would just hug you if you're in front of me right now. Um, no, it's true. It's it's silly things that sometimes attorneys don't realize. Like, you know, your your footnote, your very now short footnote above right. the line footnote yeah. might not be the same font as the rest of your document. Right. Why? Well, that's a really easy fix in Word. Right. So let me just hit a couple of your points. And definitely another argument waiting to happen among listeners is the font that you choose. Sure. So you really like Century School Book. Tell us Why?
1: I do. So Century School Book uh, is the font of choice for the U.S. Supreme Court. So you're in very good company if you're using it. Uh, It's also the font of choice for the U.S. Solicitor General's Office. Uh, So it's a font that they use, too. It's a font that is uh, permitted by the the local rules for, I think, all of the circuit courts of appeals and and probably a lot of state Supreme Courts as well. Uh, The thing that is so nice about century school book Um, and it gets back to what i was saying earlier you want your brief to be as easy to read as possible
0: pleasing to the eye as much as it is to the mind
1: yes century school book was designed for use in what school books it was designed for um, grade school textbooks and so it was meant to be read and like carefully digested and appreciated etc exactly what you want a judge to do when reading your brief Uh, Contrast that with Times New Roman. Uh, Times New Roman was developed for newspapers. Newspapers serve a very different purpose than books. Newspapers are meant to be skimmed quickly and thrown away. You don't want your judges skimming your brief quickly and throwing them away, right? Uh, You want to encourage your your judge to slow down and read the brief carefully. And it has to do with the way that the the letters are like squished together a little bit more in Times New Roman. so They can fit more lines and more words within those columns on the newspapers. Um, If you're just defaulting to Times New Roman, because that's what most people do, you don't probably realize it, but you are incentivizing your judges to read your brief quickly instead of slowing down and fully grasping and understanding what you're trying to communicate. So that's why a, a, a font like Century Schoolbook uh, is so much prefer- so much more preferable uh, to other fonts like.
0: That is so interesting. It adds a just an element of psychology to writing these documents that I don't think we think about a lot, you know, for me, when I'm trying to get them off of Times New Roman, I'm saying, look, it was invented for newspapers mm-hmm. and the font was always the same size. Today, right. when you send a document to someone else, you have no idea if they're reading it on their seven inch phone, their 70 inch, you know, screen in their conference room. And the way those letters space and lay out on these different size displays really matters. Times right. New Roman was not designed to scale to displays. So uh, great, great tip on Century Schoolbook. You really, number three, yes. which, you know, I would beg to argue that this should be number one point, sure. but sure. that's just me, is styles. Yes. So let's talk about why those are important. I'm just going to say in my experience, what typically happens is let's say there's a bigger firm that has some sort of aid that helps them create style sets and their documents are easy to develop because maybe they have a word processing department. Then an attorney who doesn't know what styles are, how to use styles gets frustrated and will say to the attorney, to the assistant, get those styles out of there. Just get rid of everything and make it all times you Roman." And, you know, they literally will destroy the aid that was given to them when a document was created with styles. So tell us from your perspective, why learning styles is important, how they're not that hard. Sure. And how they can help you with all of these tips that you've given us in visually creating a beautiful document.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I so I don't consider myself the Microsoft Word expert or like the styles expert. I don't know every in and out to how they work, but I've learned them well enough that I know how to make them work for me and make them work for what I need them to do. So essentially, styles is the way in which you create the formatting settings, the font settings, the indentation settings, all of that. For different parts of your document. So, your body text, you want to look one way. Um, your main point headings, you want to look a different way. Through the um, whole document. Titles, through the whole document. And you want them to be consistent, right? So, y- y- the word argument, titling your argument section, you want to look the same formatting wise as the word, the phrase table of contents, titling your table of contents page, right? You want them to be the same. And sometimes, you know, you're working on a brief and you realize, you know what, this, this heading, it would look better if it were a little bit, you know, had a little bit more space above it or below it or if, you know, I, I'd like to indent it a little bit more. Um, Styles allows you to make that change in a single place within the document and then apply that change to every similar part of the document like that throughout the entire brief. Whereas otherwise you'd make the change in one place. you have to remember where are all the other places uh. where I did a point heading like this? Let me remember, go back and make the change in all those other places. You might forget some, um, it just, takes forever for you example You might just
0: give up because it's so long you're like oh screw it <laughs> i right, are never right, going right. to look No that's you right. never say screw it to our legal documents No
1: And the <laughs> other thing is if you say oh well my my legal assistant knows how to do all this stuff I'll let them <laughs> you know make it look better on the back end one you're creating way more work than necessary for so your legal true. assistant So instead of catching typos and citation errors and you know misquotes in your brief they're busy trying to change the indentation on a, a point heading because yeah. you messed it all up because you don't know how to use styles. Um, So that's number one. Um, Well,
0: it's actually your number three. It's my number.
1: (laughs) Well, right. Well, I was going (laughs) to say the the benefit, (laughs) there's a benefit there for your, for your paralegals. uh, Also just in terms of making the brief look nice as you're writing it you need to be able to use styles in order to uh, change some of that formatting because otherwise you're not gonna realize if you've got a point heading that's hanging out on the bottom of a page by mm-hmm. itself, right? Unless you're changing those styles and able to um, edit those styles as you go.
0: So let me, if, if, if I may, just take yes. a, a moment. Styles can be really hard for people to grasp, but this is the way I explain them. Think of an orchestra and you've got your brass instruments, you've got your percussion instruments, you've got your string instruments. They all are dressed the exact same way so that when you're looking at the brass instruments, you're like, the brass section, you're like, oh, that's the brass section. They're all centered, all caps, underlined. They're size 14. Then you look over at the percussion section and they're, you know, they've got a 0.5 tab. They are justified and they've got double spacing. So what happens is if you decide that the percussion section should actually be, have a a space and a half as opposed to double space, but you say, do double space in your briefs. Instead of going and tapping every single one of those band members and saying, hey, go change your uniform. I'm going to need you to be a space and a half. What you do is you wave your wand and you say, okay, everyone in the brass section will now be 16 point. And in one step, you change the look and feel of that entire document and all of those sections, those parts of your document that are wearing that uniform. It's an easy button. You collect font and paragraph formatting into one button. It's called a style. So it could be your heading one style, your heading two style, and it, it breaks it down like that. But it is critical in helping you efficiently and beautifully and consistently create especially long documents.
1: It is. And I've got a couple. And that was an excellent summary, better than I could have done. Um, (laughs) I've also got a couple links within the style guide um, to where your listeners can like download the style guide, click the links, and learn more about how to use styles. Because sometimes you have to really see it in order to get it. And some of those links will help with that.
0: Great. Let's encourage everyone to make sure they have gotten the document and click through all those links. Yes. A lot of people ask me about widow orphan control and they want to go turn it off how do you Uh feel about widow orphan control it's a bullet point here
1: you cannot turn it off Uh, and if anything uh, i would say if you're just using orphan and widow control you're not doing enough to make your briefs uh, as readable and pleasing to the eye as you can to me i am pretty so orphan widow control is you don't want the first line of a, of a paragraph to be by itself at the bottom of a page. And you also don't want uh, the last line of a paragraph to be the first line at the top of a page, right? That's orphan-widow control. Um, but with just orphan-widow control on, you might get two lines uh, by themselves at the top of a page, or two lines by themselves at the bottom of the page. I don't even think two lines um, it looks good. I, I, I try to find ways to write around Um, having two lines by themselves in a paragraph sure, um, because it just doesn't look clean and you're forcing the reader. You only give the reader two lines, which isn't a lot of information to keep Mm -hmm. in their head and to then disconnect that from the rest of the paragraph. Um, So I will either add a little extra space or more often than not, I will just find a way to cut some words so that my paragraphs fit better. So I don't have those two, two lines going above or beyond uh, the page break. And and that goes
0: right along with keep with next and keep lines together. And so what you do with like a heading style, so argument, opening, closing, those headings you control and you say, okay, this heading should always be kept with the next paragraph so that you don't have those uncomfortable visual breaks. When you're not using styles and controlling the flow of a document, you or your assistant ends up having to enter a lot of weird hard returns. But then when you're done with the document, you end up having to remove a lot of them because maybe you've edited the document in between. And then that also throws off your table of contents. So if you can make the document understand through styles, how you want the whole structure of it to lay out and use styles, you're doing yourself a huge favor, your assistant a huge favor, your table of contents is going to be beautiful. So I think Chris, we should end this by encouraging everyone to learn about Microsoft Word styles.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Styles is incredibly key. And then just becoming more proficient in Word more broadly uh, is so important. I see right now all the rage on LinkedIn and the the folks that I follow is AI. How can I use AI to to do X, Y, and Z? You know, how can I get AI to make my job easier, to make my briefs better, et cetera. Um, And I want to say, you know what, just invest in, you know, taking a Microsoft Word course or just spend a couple hours playing around with it and learning new skills uh, within that program, um, and you will improve your leap, right, uh, your brief writing by leaps and bounds as compared to trying to go out there and figure out what this AI thing is. And, and, you know, that's something we will all learn in time, I'm sure. But there is so much to be gained just by investing and becoming more proficient in using the tools we have available right now.
0: I totally agree. And I will tell my listeners that if you go to my website, LawTechPartners.com, I regularly give one-hour Microsoft Word sessions with the basics because I can never get past the basics because I'm always just trying to get attorneys to understand the basics, but... That's one good place that you can go and learn about Word. And Deborah Saavedra has been a guest on New Solo in the past. She has the LegalOfficeGuru.com website. She has learn-as-you-go, learn-as-you-want courses that you can buy on Microsoft Word. I always do mine live because I, I like the interaction and I like people to be able to ask questions. But if you like to learn by yourself, you can always go visit the Legal Office Guru. Deborah's wonderful. She has really great sessions on Word. And that's a great place to start. Well, Chris, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I know, I really know how busy you are and really, really appreciate it. This is going to be a really popular episode. So let's remind everyone where they can find you on LinkedIn.
1: Sure. Just look for Chris Chandeville on LinkedIn. You can uh, send me a, give me a follow or send me a connection request. I love connecting uh, with other attorneys. And you can also find uh, the hashtag that I use, hashtag brief writing ninja. Uh, You can follow that hashtag specifically to get all my legal writing uh, tips and tricks in your home feed. Uh, look forward to connecting with your listeners. And it's been such a pleasure to be on with you today, Adriana.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. I absolutely appreciate it. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of New Solo. If you like what you've heard today, make sure you share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. I think a lot of attorneys and their assistants, by the way, will really appreciate all the information you shared with us. Thanks, everyone. And see you next month on New Solo. I've
1: been from nine to five Been biting my tongue for all
0: this time Won't let anyone cut me short I was thinking this was the way to go And you put up your puppet show I say cheers to life